It's the Daily Talk Show episode 318. We've got one of the OG podcasters <laughs> in, the, in the house. That Charlie. The, that's the saddest thing in the world to be an OG podcaster. <laughs> Charlie Clawson. Hey, hello. I, hey. think, I think that's cool. I think being uh, t- Tommy's so rattled having the OG. That's the first time you've ever interrupted halfway. I got to three <laughs> before you started talking. Would you say I'm a, a godfather, a podfather? Yeah. Original well, godfather, original gangster. Yeah. That's the. I did see that there was. Um, uh, Howard Stern was talking about. Do you know Howard Stern? He's yes. like a I've heard of him. radio DJ dude. If you're the OG and you don't know Howard Stern, you're no longer the OG. Yeah, exactly. Yes. But he <laughs> he he talked about how he um, started calling himself the king of all media because mm-hmm. he heard that Rolling Stones just said that they were the biggest band in the world, and he called a press conference and said, "Hey, I want you to start calling me this." And they said, "Absolutely not." Then after like a few years, people just it just started to stick, and people started to call him the. King of all media. So what we're saying is, this moment you can address. Yeah. Uh, what do you? Uh, so okay. do you want it to be the god, uh, the, the, pod- ki- the king of podcasting, <laughs> <laughs> Australian? King. I have to like qualify it because I'm not Joe Rogan, yeah, or like yeah. Kevin Smith. Uh, yeah. So I'm the king of Australian podcasting, Charlie mm. Clawson, the OG, <laughs> the Godfather. Well, you've got a fair few bloody and right. a, a few pseudonyms, right? Yeah. I'm yeah. Kind of just stick to just one. You're um, you've got how long have you been doing TOEFOP for? Uh, we started in 2010. It's funny, I was talking to someone about this uh, at the airport the other day. They were asking about podcasting. And he's like, oh. Is that a fan at the airport? Just uh, Yeah, it was someone who I knew, not that through podcasting. It was a fan, but yes, <laughs> yeah. but not, not a podcasting <laughs> fan. A, uh, but he's asking why I was coming to Melbourne. I said, I'm doing a podcast, and which always leads to that question, what's a podcast? <laughs> which you still have to talk about in 2019. But he was asking what it's about, and Will and I, um, uh, I do TOEFOP with Will Anderson, and uh, people always ask, you know, what's the show about? And that's when I always cringe because back in 2010, to do a podcast, the only reason or hook you needed was, oh, we're doing a podcast (laughs) because no one knew what it was. But now there's all these great podcasts that have great hooks like, hey, let's watch these same three films, you know, again and again and analyse them or, or whatever it is. But ours is literally just Will and I get together and we just talk and it's such a lame premise <laughs> to tell someone, hey, I've got a friend, yeah. we get together, we have a conversation, yeah. that's our show. Well, it's something we've kind of struggled with in in terms of like, you know, I think everyone's sort of guided down the path of come up with your tagline and know you know exactly why you're doing it. Yeah. What's your what, angle? What's your elevator pitch yeah. if someone asks you, yeah. which can freak, the fu- freak you the fuck out and actually be counter to you working it out because you're so freaked out. Yeah. But we're slowly getting there. Mm. Well, our producer, uh, American guy, uh, he said to us, we were having a, d- a discussion on the show, like, what is our show about, you know? And then he sent in a description, which is so perfect, but it's also so lame, where he says, this show is a comedy conversation between two old mates. <laughs> and I was like, oh, no, I don't want to listen to that. <laughs> By the OGs of podcasting. Yeah, right. <laughs> did you ever try and apply an angle to it? Like, did you feel the pressure of, like, I know when we were doing the Daily Talk Show, if you listen to, like, first 10 podcasts there were times where like we're going to focus on a theme and today we're talking about things that happened to us in the pool i think what (laughs) we tried to do we were huge fans of kevin smith's modcast Mm -hmm. and uh like when we had the idea to to start tofop it's because uh i was uh, will was doing a stand-up tour or trialing a stand-up tour and i was following around making like a behind the scenes documentary and so we had these long drives where we'd listen to smodcast and it was just so brilliant. It was just two guys, Kevin Smith, Scott Mosier, old friends, and they would just go off on tangents and hypotheticals, and it was so funny. And they're just, and he's such a great talker. And so that's what we wanted to do. And I think in the first like eighty episodes, we were just trying to do our version of Smodcast. But yeah. 
you know, as you know, you can't do someone else's show. The mm. reason you like someone else's show is you would never have the idea to do it. You've got yeah. to do your own thing. Yeah. So I think initially we would, you know, try and, you know, we'll, you know, we're doing a lot more kind of like, uh, uh, what would you say, working blue. <laughs> we're swearing a lot more, going to edgier topics and stuff. And then I think we just sort of found our rhythm. And what I like about the show is that we do just go all over the place. Mm. I think what we, what the feeling we try and create with our show and even with our, our football show, the uh, two guys, one cup is it's, it should just feel like you've just plugged in with two mates, mm. you know, and you've, you can pick up the conversation at any point. And even if you don't know exactly what they're talking about, you get an idea of what they think yeah. about it. I think if you went in as a duo off the bat going, we're going to try and go all over the shop, mm. it would probably not work. Yeah. But I think yeah. if you can, if you just are a – like most friendships, the conversations at the pub are just fucking everywhere. Yeah. Mm. You know, so I th- that's what Josh and I have done. We're just like – we can't help but go everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> you- and it's interesting too because I think you notice it when you do the live shows because suddenly there becomes this, this pressure to perform. Yeah. And it's actually the opposite of why – we're doing the podcast in the first place mm. or why we like doing the podcast because, you know, Will and I have been mates for years but we don't see each other that much. So it is genuinely a catch-up where the conversation goes all over the place. But then you do a live show and all of a sudden you're like, this is nothing. We need to yeah. give these people something. Yeah. We have to come up with something to make this interesting. Have you worked out times where you've had to perform? So Tommy and I have had situations where it's like after doing 318 episodes and being business partners now – we have days where it's like, uh, you're pissing me off. <laughs> and so we end up like, our approach has always been just sort of bringing it in on the show. 100%, yeah. Uh, there, there was one time where it's like, Tommy's like, yeah, like, right, we have a big fucking blow up. He's like, let's bring it on the show. I'm like, let's actually just wait a couple of hours. Yeah. Have you found, found that with the amount of episodes you've done? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely affected our friendship because – if we get together to record a show and we hook into something interesting, all of a sudden we will pause and go, let's wait. <laughs> let's yeah, save yeah, that. Yeah. Let's not burn any of our material. But I think it's also that thing of um, what we love or what I love about podcast is that it's not commercial radio. Like mm. I don't want to hear slick two-minute conversations with a mm. you know sting at the end and then you're into a song. I are, like are you it. saying you don't listen to Will Anderson's breakfast <laughs> radio show, The well, Hot Breakfast? To be honest, <laughs> I actually don't listen to a lot of commercial radio anymore. Like I'm almost exclusively like digital. It's like with the way I consume TV now. It's all on demand. If I do mm-hmm. listen to commercial radio, it will be like a podcast catch up yeah. because I just cannot stand the advertising. Yeah. Did you ever go into the, uh, the, the pipeline of – uh, trialing doing radio and things like that was that ever no i mean look if you've ever heard tofop you know it's not really <laughs> like commercial radio yeah. ready like but that's what i mean is is what i enjoy listening to with podcasts like there's a show that um that i love called the weekly planet we're actually on their on their network and i remember when those guys started getting sponsors and the way they explained it to the audience was so transparent and brought you into the kind of process mm. where they said look you know we've got to pay for this we've got to pay for that um, you know, here's the kind of uh, uh, products we will we'll endorse, here's products we won't endorse. And because they sort of brought you into the process, A, that became content, like mm, their yeah. business meeting. Yeah. But secondly, it engendered loyalty in me with the products that they endorsed because they explained their reasoning for it. And I was mm. like, oh, this is great because literally anything – if if you identify with the show or like the personalities on it, then you can listen to them talk – about anything, whether or not it's a personal anecdote or something that they've prepared or, mm. or whatever. Like that's, that's the beauty of, 
um, you know, Will always said, and I, I tease him for it, like it's like the punk rock of broadcasting. Yeah. Broadcasting, because you know, back in the day, you only need to know three chords. You're in a punk band. Yeah, yeah. all you need is a, a microphone and maybe a camera, and you can do a podcast. Did you ever get any offers to do radio, especially off the back of doing Home and Away? Because uh, you were on h- how long? Five years. Home five away? years. Yeah. No, no, no offers to do radio. I mean, there were, I, 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 I was at Triple J years ago, years and years and years ago. Um, I used to do like little segments there, and and. There was a sort of opportunity to go further into that, but then the acting took me in a different direction. But I haven't really had that much experience in radio apart from going in to promote something. Mm, I think that's what makes TOEFOP unique as well because it's not coming in with all of the, like the the baggage that radio can provide as well. Like there's certain things that, like you're not going to hear you teasing on your show for like, oh, you're going to, we might mention this, the butt plugs. (laughs) I know you've got something funny about that. That will, do you think was that, that's not a random yeah, reference, exactly. by the way. Yeah. Like, latest episode. <laughs> right. You brought this like up it. before we started recording <laughs> as well. It's really like struck a chord with it, you. It had, um, it, it, it had cut through. Yeah. <laughs> um, has it been conversations with Will around specifically not being radio? Because Tommy and I are always talking about that. It's like, mm. Josh, that's sounding like uh, I might do a bit of gear. And Tommy's uh, like, I, don't that's think a bit I don't think we've ever had like a specific conversation about what the parameters of this show are. Mm-hmm. I think we're quite comfortable that it just will fall into whatever rhythm it needs to be. Like, I don't know. We don't, and I don't really listen back. Um, mm. Since we, I, may, I used to cut all the episodes and upload them and everything like that. And um, now we have someone who does that for us. And I think it's actually freed me up creatively because. I think if I did listen back, I would probably get more self-conscious yeah. and be like, God, that was 15 minutes and nothing and maybe I should bring something in. And I, I, I do find the f- very few times I have attempted to kind of create a bit mm. or steer it in a certain way, like the way Will works, it, it does, like he'll resist. Like yeah. he doesn't, you know, he's not going to, he, he, will, he will respond spontaneously and in the moment. But, you know, I, I, can, I can sort of feel that when I try and construct something, it doesn't, it doesn't match the style of the show, what mm-hmm. we're trying to do. Well, I also think it's like sometimes with how often we do it, trying that stuff. Like it's, I think if you don't listen back, I think Josh and I both, and you're probably the same, just like you're so self-analyzing in the moment. If that didn't feel good, you probably won't go back there again. It's also like, it feels like there's diminishing returns eventually of listening to yourself back. If I say something that's really bad, someone will email probably, right? (laughs) Yeah, 100%. (laughs) What's your relationship like with the audience? Um, Pretty good. Like we've... I used to really enjoy going to like the Apple, uh, you know, going to iTunes ratings and just reading the bad reviews, just like, you know, just pressing that kind of ulcer on the gum, just like, oh, what are people saying? And I even did an episode where I brought in all the worst reviews. Yeah, great. But uh, Will wasn't really into um, But generally pretty good. Like I think that uh, when we've done, you know, little bits of market research here and there, you know, we have a pretty good split in terms of male-female um, you know, a fairly broad range of ages as well. I'm always really surprised when someone's like, oh, you know, you, you got me through high school. I'm like, you got too young yeah, <laughs> to yeah. be listening. I've actually worked out how you become classified as the OG when someone gets a tattoo of your podcast on them. That's yeah. what happened with yeah. TOEFOP. Yeah, we've got uh, – people have got tattoos. There's a guy who's got uh, – a guy in Wisconsin, Wisconsin, I believe, who's got personalised TOEFOP number plates. Oh, that's it. Um, yeah, the guy who got the TOEFOP tattoo, I advised him against. <laughs> yes, definitely. I, I would advise anyone <laughs> against getting out. It was okay. a weird thing too because he basically got Tofop tattooed within a bat symbol and I'm like, confusing. <laughs> I don't know. Gives him options. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Maybe. Are you, are you a podcast fan 
nowadays? Like, do you, yeah. are you spending much time listening? Yeah. I mean, I tend to, I've got my old favorites. There's, there's some podcasts that I feel like, uh, you know, in the same, in the same way that Tofop is just, you know, a bunch of guys talking and, you know, you really have to sort of get in on that ground level. Mm. There's some shows I listen to, which I can't recommend to anyone. And because it, and I only like them because I've been listening to them for so long and I know the relationships and the dynamic, but I imagine, if anyone else was to jump on, they'd be like, what? I don't understand. That's so, it. such a common thing that people say about our show, but also just there's specific ones that have cult followings yeah. where it's like you almost feel like you've missed the boat. Have you got people that are finding out about Tofop today where you get the emails mm. where it's like, hey, I've just gone, yeah. gone back through yeah. your catalogue? Because we, we, we started with – we do a letters section now like um, – uh, a couple of weeks ago, we did an entire episode that was just emails. And I'm terrible at that. That's my job is to monitor the emails. <laughs> like I think we've still got like a three-month backlog. <laughs> that people are, you need a Mr. 97. Uh, yeah, he, he looked after all of that. Yeah, he right. went through and saw that we had – because we still – we mentioned them on the show, but we're just not good at the like responding. Yeah. Back. I mean initially I made this promise to our listeners that's like, look, if we don't read it out, you'll get a response. And then I was like, oh, this is Uh-oh. too hard. Like, <laughs> there's way too many emails. I can't be bothered responding to all of them. We've made a lot of promises that's, that have fallen through the cracks. Is that something you guys have been Oh, doing? yeah, yeah, yeah. We're constantly <laughs> promising. We come up with stupid ideas every week. We generally ha- – every couple of weeks we'll come up with some idea that is guaranteed to lose us money, some <laughs> like promotional performance or, or merchandise or something. We – for a while we really got into the idea of being as completely anachronistic as, as possible with this show. So – um, I don't we, even know that word, acronistic. What does uh, that mean? So a counter, a counter to what works. Oh, so, yeah, great. Um, uh, uh, like, like a contrasting or yeah, well, it's like rec- it's, it's like well, it's like recording a podcast on a wax cylinder. It's yeah, like, sure. well, you don't really you don't really need that. It's uh-huh. outdated. And so um, we were talking once about like, oh, we forget what we talk about in the podcast so much. We need someone to keep notes for us. We need to get like a stenographer. Yeah. And so for a live show, we got a courtroom stenographer <laughs> on stage <laughs> with this. And so she like transcribed the show as we we're talking. Then we could go back and check with her. And then at the end of that, we uh, took the transcription and turned it into a book that we gave to people. But the whole thing cost us a fortune. Yeah. Like court stenographers <laughs> charge like uh, two hundred bucks an hour, and then to get it transcribed and then turned into a book. But we loved it. Like that's the kind of it's the kind of any any money we make from advertising or Patreon generally goes back into the show. Like we're not drawing an income from it at this stage, mm. which we're quite comfortable with. We have other mm-hmm. careers. Um, uh, but what we do want to do is just kind of keep exploring these dumb ideas. Like at the moment we have um, – the latest promotion is we got a sticker book made up where – uh, people can uh, take these stickers and insert us into their family photos. <laughs> or if they want to be a bit Banksy-ish, stick it up around town. So we had a listener write in to say that her grandparents still have not moved on from her ex-boyfriend in all their photos. And so she's going to go around and stick like us into all those photos at her grandparents' place. Again, cost me more money to send it because when we have international listeners, it's like to send to the States, for instance, it's like eight bucks in postage yeah yeah we've seen a couple of stickers it it does get pricey is it i mean a lot of people now probably thinking oh i'll go into podcasting make money Mm. it's like what's what's your thoughts for people that have that as the the goal uh definitely you you can do it but you need a massive like i would say you need to you need video support you need a youtube channel and a podcast and you'd need significant audience numbers for Mm. both Mm -hmm. because no one's really it's the same old story in Australia with such a small population. Like the way these sponsors often work is off a uh, CPM, 
you know, per thousand listeners or per thousand audience downloads. So unless you have a significant number, you're not going to be getting that much mm-hmm. for those, you know, for those uh, thousand listeners. So where I think maybe this will go or what I'm hoping is that brand associations or branded content seems to be the most like logical mm-hmm. alignment. Like there, there, there will be brands who are like, look, the numbers are all well and good, but we actually like what your show's about. We think it fits in with, you know, uh, uh, the image we're trying to push for our brand. Because I think it – two years ago, everything I read was like podcasting is exploding, yeah. like this is going to be the new thing. I mean, you know, Jules Lund, uh, who was on this show a, a couple – was it a couple weeks ago? Uh, last week? week? Last week? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah. But he, so I remember him saying to me two years ago, everything that he'd read was like podcasting, you know, you're in the, you're yeah. in the box seats. I'm like, great, <laughs> just waiting <laughs> for it to start raining money. But I, I think that no one's quite figured it out. Like we had um, a sponsor for our AFL podcast a couple of years ago that went really well. Like they jumped on board halfway through the season. We made some video content for them. Well, I made some video content for them. Um, you know, we did a live show, all this kind of stuff. And the market research they did was brilliant. Like all the responses were fantastic. Mm. Like, you know, positive opinion of the product. You know, would you recommend, uh, would you take a product recommended by Will and Charlie? Like all this stuff that was really positive. But then the following year, so, you know, we thought we're, we're going to get like, yeah, you know. Yeah. Jules was cro- right. We're, Jules was right. Yeah, we're going to get Qantas or Lexus <laughs> or someone ba- bankrolling us next year. But then the next year the response was, oh, look, um, we're just re- we're redistributing the marketing budgets. We're sticking with traditional media, TV and radio. And, you know, my wife uh, works in advertising. I understand that. Like mm. the marketing budgets, in, it's not that they're getting smaller, although they are. It's more that there's so many areas in which you can spend your marketing budget. It mm. dilutes. So by the time people get to podcasting, and especially if you're a podcast who has a small audience, there's not going to be a lot of money yeah. to give to you. Jules was right. There was a pot, but now it's a tiny little porcelain yeah. pot. Yeah. That <laughs> is well, there's like, there's, like, <laughs> yeah. there's like 17 different outlets you can, you know, release to. And, yeah. you know, my wife directs commercials, and when they are doing a shoot, you know, the agency will say, okay, well, this is the, you know, we're going to be shooting the TVC part, but we also need to do stills. We also mm. need like 60-second Instagram videos and all this kind of stuff out of the one budget, mm. whereas 10 years ago that was just your TVC budget. What about um, when you're on Home and Away? Uh, was that – because I think I, I met you when you were just – Starting. Sti- yeah. Yeah, was or, it just starting? Well, or? I started in 2012. Yeah, so it would have been a year or two into that. Right. W- was there that sensibility then going, we're filming a TV show – that is, you know, got the prestige, but we're now wanting to take chunks out of this. Was there that any of that thinking? As in the budget for the show? Oh, so they go, we, we're going to film the show, but we want to create micro content. So you end up yeah. doing... You know, oh, no, definitely. Like, the, you know, every they have a digital department. So there was a lot of kind of... I think actually Home and Away, at least when I was on it, was the number one digital catch-up show for Channel 7. So I think that sort of forecasts where it's all going, you know, like... If you look at sort of free-to-air, it, it seems like a weird thing now. Like I hardly ever watch free-to-air anymore. And when you do, it seems so intrusive having yeah. these commercials play yeah. like every 12 minutes or whatever it is. Like sport just completely makes sense. But, you know, I think the way people want to consume their media is on demand. And it makes sense that, you know, if your show is targeted towards teenagers, that they're going to watch it on their iPhone mm. or their iPad or whatever. So... You know, you make those little bits of bonus content. Um, I think Neighbours did something really 
interesting a few years ago where they made these like short films or short series yeah. starring the cast where they did like a they did like a zombie version. Yeah, of, yeah. They had a guy. Movies. Yeah, I remember full time. Uh, he had an FS7, like a camera, and would go it and produce. You know all this different secondary content, which I it was really it, which sits on its own, yeah. right? Yeah. I, I tell you who um, who could take. Oh no, he's king of content. Alf Stewart. Mm. It was home. Was he on Home and Away when you were there? Of course. Have, have you <laughs> seen, is he still there? Yeah, of course. Far out. Have you seen right. what he's been doing lately? Uh, he's a spokesman oh, for something. Go Daddy. Yeah, go. yeah, that's right. <laughs> Unbelievable. He's using his, uh, you know, flaming thing. He's, they're like releasing products. It's actually quite smart. I've talked mm. about it a couple of times here. Mm. Bizarre though, like that. It's like taking his character and then sort of spinning. It makes sense, but it seems. Seems like this stretch for a guy like him. Well, yeah, I mean, I think it's obviously Alf Stewart as a character is like mm. that crotchety old man, and yeah. so, I mean, I, I, they can copyright the name of the character and they can <laughs> copyright <laughs> the logo, but they can't copyright the actor playing it. You know <laughs> yeah, what I mean? yeah. So he can take that and leverage it in whatever way he wants. Yeah. King of content. How, how much did you? <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah, official title. How much were you looking at numbers at the beginning when you were doing Tofop? Uh oh. Probably a little bit to begin with. Like I think that, I mean, back in again, this is the uh, as a godfather of podcasting. Yeah. <laughs> I can tell you about also, Let me tell you about the good old the days. Godfather. Is that what we're sticking with? The, OG. The God, we need to work out the exact title no, because I can it's have all about lots repetition. Of different, well, I, I think the godfather like, of uh, podcasting was a guy named Ad, Adam Curry who invented it in two thousand and four. Okay, uh, the Australian Godfather. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Right, like okay. yeah, the, yeah, I like that. Regional spin always works really well. <laughs> okay, so the the Aussie Godfather of AG, podcast, the AG, the AG, the AOG, the, AG, the Attorney yeah. General. <laughs> <laughs> so it was the early days. Yeah, so I think um, back in those days, you know, you put your podcast out and you'd go straight to number one on iTunes because of whatever the algorithm is, mm-hmm. and so which we still don't know really. No, they because well, they don't really release their numbers. Apple do that. Yeah, they? It's, it's confusing. Yeah, it's it can be gamed. It's I don't think the charts are a good representation. The rev, of, there's something about reviews as well. Yeah, it, it, it's moved a lot to subscriber numbers and right. stuff like that. Yeah, but you can actually there's a um, if you use the Castbox app on iOS, you can actually see how many people subscribe to your podcast. And right. so if you want to know if, if someone's in the charts and you want to actually see if they're doing well, you can cross reference. Cast box and be like, oh, they've actually got no one. But yeah, yeah there's a lot of ways of gaming it. But I, I mean, I haven't, I haven't checked the numbers in a long time mm. because we have a we have a producer who sort of basically handles all the back end for us now. Um, and so I, I mean, I, I've got an idea of where we kind of sit in terms of numbers, mm. but it's never really, it's never really been a conscious effort of like, okay, we're at this number, we need to get to this number. Mm-hmm. Like we we want to do what we do and make it um, accessible for more people. Like part of the reason we joined uh, Planet Broadcasting is that the Weekly Planet has a massive audience. In fact, you know, when we first talked to them, they thought there could be like a good um, exchange, a quid pro quo in that they could – because their their audience is 90% overseas. Yeah. Hardly anyone knows them in Australia, which is crazy because it's such a brilliant podcast and it's so well done. Yeah. but they're not really known here. And so they thought, well, as the godfathers of Australian podcasting, maybe yeah. you can bring some attention to us and we can introduce you to our American audience or, you know, mostly American audience. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know how I don't know how that relationship has worked out in terms of have, mm. have they seen a significant spike or have we seen a significant spike? But it does make me sort of think that 
you know, you people stick to what they mm. what they know and they yeah. like. Like, uh, I, I'm just because something works in one you know forum, it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to lead to numbers in mm. another area. Or, um, you know, if we decided to just go on an all out assault and get like as mainstream as possible yeah, yeah. and stuff i don't know that they would yeah, necessarily yeah. because the show is what it is i think for a time we thought maybe we did have like something that was a bigger idea and then you know with for instance with the afl podcast because that is a focused idea it's literally you know it's about football i i noticed that we sort of we tend to get more um interaction there seems to mm. be uh, more each episode gets more uh, impressions all this kind of stuff and i think that is because it's it's topical and yeah. it's current, whereas I think Tofop sort of sits in its own little universe. Mm-hmm. Like maybe, maybe Tofop isn't the flagship. It's just the kind of uh, spiritual. Yeah, it's a spiritual podcast yeah. of the network. Well, footy fans are quite outrageous. So yeah. they're yeah. noisy. Yeah, and I, I came to your live show. That oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. There, yeah. There's definitely like an energy about you know sport and then connecting to the, the teams. Should we talk more about sport? Uh, definitely not. <laughs> Josh has got no idea. Rewalt. Yeah. Heard, yeah. Buckley. No, who was it? Lloyd? He used yeah, to do he's the, the grass. Oh, he would talk a lot about Rewalt. He's a St Kilda fan. So. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Rewalt's um, great. In terms of, because uh, you did a stint in LA. Uh, yeah, yeah. Better part of the last couple of years. I mean, like most of the people I ask, what podcast do you listen to? It's all they're all American podcasts. Mm-hmm. Do you think Aussies have a good shot of breaking the? American market, like, is that what's going on there? Because well, I the, live there. The, the Weekly Planet has definitely done that. How the, how the hell have they done it? And I think it's <laughs> well, it's because it's a it's a movie geek podcast, mm-hmm. and that's huge business. Like the geeks have inherited the earth. Like that's you talk about like comic books and comic book movies and TV and you know Game of Thrones and all that kind of stuff. Like that is so huge right now. You can go on YouTube right now and there's like 50 video essays about the breaking down the latest Game of Thrones trailer. Yeah. Um, I mean, I came across the Weekly Planet that exact way is I just found one of their YouTube videos, thought it was really good, and then they advertised their podcast and listened to the podcast. And it was kind of funny when we first met with them to have that discussion around, well, maybe we can help you, maybe you can help us. Mm. And we exchanged like download numbers. We were like, holy shit, yeah. like – Really? I mean, I think you could go on YouTube. They get like 5 million downloads a month yeah, for wow. their YouTube videos. Well, 1% of the American population is a lot more than ours. Yeah, so they definitely have a breakthrough. And the audiences do the, – the, the fact that they're Australian doesn't seem to be – like it doesn't inhibit people's mm. enjoyment of it because they know their shit. And, you know, that's the other thing about sort of like fan if – you're, if, you're, if you are doing a show that is fan-orientated, people will sniff out if you are not yeah, a real yeah. fan, but these guys know their shit. Mm. And so I think that, that their their um, credentials are on display with yeah. every episode. Uh, Ash Williams, who we had on this this week? Yeah, yeah. this week. He gave uh, LA a bit of a crack. Mm. Do you think there's, as an Aussie going to LA, like now you go there's heaps of Aussies, mm. do you think there's still uh, weight in the Aussie in LA. Whereas Ash fucked it with the two grand yeah. yos. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And working at that uh, topless yeah, 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 jelly yeah, shot bar. Jelly shot bar, yeah. <laughs> Story. Uh, I, 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 look, I think we're – the first time I went to LA was in 2007 and you were definitely much more exotic back then. Um, now that there's so many Australians in with high, high profiles over there, I think it's a bit less of a of – a, uh, uh, an attraction, but it, mm. it works both ways because Australians have a great reputation over there of 
both being talented but also hardworking. And I think that's a product of coming from a tiny industry where, mm. you know, you've got to fight and scrap for every opportunity mm. you get. And so those two attributes hold you in good stead. Over Great there. baristas as well. Great baristas, yeah. yeah. Aussies are. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. I think that when we were in LA, there was a lot yeah, of Aussies. Well, the good coffee joints in New York are run by Aussies. Yeah. yeah. Did you – is consistency – an important part of this whole equation? Yes, 100%. I mean, I think that's the one thing that we've done better than anything else mm-hmm. content-wise on the show <laughs> is we put it out a yeah. lot. Um, you know, and especially considering, you know, Will and I have spent large periods of time overseas. We've managed to just like Skype in and do it. So even when it's been really challenging and it's much better when we're in the same room easily, mm. like, you know, but that just is not possible. We live in different states now. Mm. Um, like I said, for the last four or five years, at least one of us was based in LA. So, yeah. you know, we're trying to get the time zones lined up. And I, I even remember doing a show uh, traveling between LA and London last year and getting to my hotel. And, and it was like, you know, one in the morning and I'm getting up to do this show and the hotel internet connection was shit and like he kept dropping out and we just like struggled through this whole episode and then I was like what are we doing (laughs) like this is a fake radio show like I mean I know people love it but it's like what are we doing but then what else would I be doing you know like I I, I like it and I think that it sort of keeps you got to keep the blade sharp like I think that I I, I want to I want to be doing this and and Mm. the, the financial opportunities or where it might lead to career-wise is sort of you've got to put that out of your mind a bit. And if it, we often, and we're often very honest when we talk about it, like, look, if this gets too hard mm-hmm. or if, you know, the benefits are, are no longer there or it's just like it's too much of a hassle, then we can let it go. Like that's the thing you have to sort of sort of weigh up. But it hasn't, you know, I don't feel we've been close to that yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what's the worst that can come from it and what's the exact best that yeah. can come from it? Yeah. You've, I think you've been, from what I can see, I, I looked on YouTube last night, I found this, uh, film you wrote and directed, fired. Oh my no, I didn't write it. You didn't? Oh, no, I did. Yes. <laughs> Sorry, was that I was long doing ago? so much fun God, stuff. It was he doesn't f- even fifteen know. years think, ago, think, right? I think the editor. Uh, I think the editor put that upload that to YouTube without my permission. Yeah. Well, I found it, and it's on YouTube. <laughs> oh, but God, don't look it's, at it. So that was fifteen yeah. years ago. Fifteen years ago. Yeah. Which I mean, I think it was uploaded fifteen years ago, or yeah. something like that. Yeah, by but an editor again who did not have permission. <laughs> I'm sure Game of Thrones have that all the time. Yeah. Just the editor. What What I love about it though is I see you and. In that was Chris Lilly yeah. and Roger Corsa, yeah, Ryan these are, Johnson. These are people who are, you know, yeah. up there in the Australian media landscape. And I'm doing a daily show podcast. I think you're doing it too. You know, all the things you've done, but it's like yeah. I love seeing that um, piece of history of Australian people who are still now working mm. that were doing it then, doing yeah. it for free then. So it's like you've got to have – a passion, you got to have a love for it because there's a whole bunch of stuff you got to do where you're not getting the yeah, monetary reward. And I, and I think I think having a blue collar attitude towards a creative pursuit yeah. is the best combination. I think that's why Australians do do well in LA. It's like, I mean, we don't have big trailers. Like even when you know I've worked on big TV shows and like you're still getting changed in like a broom cupboard you know, yeah, yeah, like yeah. with no privacy. Yeah, it's yeah. Like, like it, it doesn't. They romanticise it. I remember filming something at Conan's set and you have this idea of what you think it is but it's essentially caravans yeah. with just like it's not that aspirational once you actually get up close and you knock on the wood. and Yeah, and I think too that if you have this idea that you know, showbiz has some kind of, uh, what's the word, like um, um, you get some cachet over. Yeah. Mm. And 
well, you're going to be really disappointed. <laughs> like, you know, you mean Unless you're seeing Alf Stewart's trailer. <laughs> well, you mean, but it's like that. How often have you heard about someone going, oh, I met a comedian in real life. Oh, he was really serious. Or he was really quiet. Yeah. It's like, yeah, because it's a fucking job. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, he's not going to be on all the time. And I think if you go into a job like this thinking, oh, it's all just going to be like fun, and like, mm. then you're crazy because it's, it's still a job. And I think the people. You know, to your point, I guess the people who have gone on are the ones who, yeah, will front up to do a short film that a mate of theirs is thrown together, you know, mm-hmm. for no money. And the same, uh, they have the same attitude and level of professionalism as if they were working with, like, you know, a Steven Spielberg. And, you know, that's kind of my philosophy is when I don't think I've ever turned down when someone's requested I do, uh, can you be on my podcast? Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't think I've ever turned it down because I'm always like, well, what's the worst that could happen? Yeah. You know, it could be a train. Right? Cut to me being kidnapped <laughs> for some stand type. The Daily Talk fan. Show. Bagging, yeah. um, bagging. Bag <laughs> yeah. bag we normally do that at the 45 minute mark. Um, have you ever made any big life decisions based on the podcast? Uh, Eloping, didn't you elope? Yeah, but content. Was, I don't think it was a. Well, I just like. Oh, right. I just, no, 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 no. I mean, like, you know, there are things that. Uh, I, I travelled for three, well, yeah. three months and Tommy and I still did the podcast, right? So yeah. every single morning when I was in Europe, That's I nuts. had four G- – so I, I probably spent 1500 bucks on 4G SIM cards wherever I went. Like <laughs> I no joke, but I, know, I, I, know exactly I, I, I justified it. And so – and, you know, just being yeah, in all different parts and realising that this is, this is actually like consumed my life, but mm. then my girlfriend Bree's like, uh, I don't want you to stop because – I, even though I'm in pain in those moments, I know that it's like it's actually what I want to do. And if I, the reason I'm in pain is because I just want to get it out. Yeah, that makes sense. So, what is there? Have there been things where it's like you have actually made, you've turned things down, or you've said, "Oh, maybe I will." Have you ever thought maybe I'll I'll go here so I'm in the same spot as Will, so we can do the show? Yeah, like I mean, I think we've both made sacrifices. Like when um, LA Podfest was still a thing. Uh, Will and I both flew out to LA for our weekend mm-hmm. to do the live show. I mean, not at the same time. There was one year when he was living in LA and I was doing Home and Away. I literally finished work on Friday morning, jumped on a plane, flew to LA, did the show uh, Saturday night LA time, went straight from the show to the airport, back on the plane, flew back Jeez. to Sydney and went to work again on a Monday. So Amazing. did LA in 24 hours. And Will had done the same thing. And we were losing money on that. That was mm-hmm. like a, you know, $1,500 airfare. But we just sort of felt like, well, let's do it. I mean, because this may never happen again. Yeah. Like this may be the only opportunity we have to do something like that. And if you're not making money from it, then why else are you doing it if not for the experience, yeah. you know, or to have the conversation? And, you know, I, I also think that it's too late to, to be conservative now. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. you, we're all in. Like, yeah. what are you going to do? You either shut it down or you just keep pursuing these things. Mm-hmm. Did you have a break from TOEFOP while you were doing Home and yeah, Away? Yeah, so when I started um, on Home and Away, there was sort of, oh, I mean, I don't know what I'm allowed to t- say. No but there one were, listens, so you there, were, there, were, there was just some There was just some concerns about the fact that, you know, a TOEFOP can be adult content and yeah. I was on this very family-friendly show and so they asked that I stop doing it, which, you know, I talked to Will about it and we weren't happy about it but mm-hmm. it was like, okay, this is a new job mm-hmm. and I, you know, want to make a good impression and so we did that and then there's actually Jules Lund, of all people, who when I told him about it was like, who said you couldn't do it? And I said, oh, you know, Channel 7. 
And he's like, who? Channel 7. I was like, I don't know. And he's like, well, why don't you find out who and go talk to them? And it was the best bit of advice. Because it was a social media through. coordinator yeah. or some <laughs> shit or some fucking... Well, you just, you just hear... Fucking Alf Stewart, king <laughs> of content. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, you just hear no. Knocking you down. You just hear no and you're like, oh, well, they've just said no. And in your head, it's like this big faceless. But then, you yeah. know, there was a person who made the decision and I went and spoke to them and explained my position, which mm-hmm. was like, look, um, you know, I don't think that there's going to be you know, any kind of like crossover. I don't think anyone's going to be scarred from going from one show to the other. If anything, you mm. may get more curious people wanting yeah, to check plugs. out both sides. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and once that I had that conversation, it was like, yeah, go for it. And so we got up and running. And to be honest, I think actually having that break probably helped the show a bit because it sort of allowed us to go off like Will went and off and created Fofop, which mm-hmm. is, you know, Tofop without Charlie. Yeah. And now uh, would me just to focus on this new job because – my hours were all over the place and, you know, maybe it would have been a bit too stressful having the two things going at once. Mm-hmm. Um, and it also gave us, like, it added to the mythology of the show. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. that's what we, you know, we often talk about, you know, when something like that happens, it, A, it gives you, like, hours and hours of content to yeah. talk about, but it also is part of the story. Yeah. And so when we decided, when when we got the green light to do the show again, it we we were able to sort of do this really cool build for a couple of months, yeah. like just dropping hints that, you know, what's yeah. going to happen, the show's coming back. And so it's just sort of it, – it's another way of bringing the audience back into it. Did you feel like you had had framed them as the man? Were they that like – Yeah. Know? Well, I mean, I, I kind of – it wasn't a case of like um, they were the villain. Like we mm. when we did our last episode before we took a break – you know, we sort of explained what had happened and it's like we completely understand their point of view. Like, you know, they're protecting their product just like you would mm-hmm. protect your product. Mm. Um, you know, we were disappointed that it, they, 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 they thought the way they did, but it wasn't a case of like – I mean, I could say no. You know, yeah, that's yeah, a thing. Yeah, it's yeah. like no one had a gun to my head. It was yeah. a choice that I made. Was it a, a moment for you to reflect? Because maybe in those moments I feel like we can dip between, say – old school media and new school media and the different sort of schools that they both have. Yeah. Did you f- feel like it was a learning from you to be like, actually, if I believe in this I sh- and this is going to be the thing, mm. someone shouldn't be able to tell me. Yeah, but I also wanted to pay my rent. Had you been working towards getting something like, a, you know, a full-time acting role like Home and Away? Like they want, some two of the shows, Home and Away and Neighbours are like, Four actors in Australia can work five days a week. Exactly, doing like, your craft. Is yeah, it hundred percent? Is it what yeah. you were sort of aiming for? No, like I hadn't. It wasn't like I was aiming for it. I'd had Home and Away had come knocking a couple times before that, and I'd sort of turned them down because it just I was doing other stuff or I just wasn't interested. But at the time that they came back, it was was settled in Sydney. Mm. Um, you know, my wife was getting her advertising career going, so it just felt like the right fit and. I'm really glad I did it. Like I have nothing but good things to say about Home and Away. It was one of the best jobs I've ever had. Um, you know, still got lots of friends from that show. Um, and in the end turned out to have a lot of flexibility to do what I wanted to do. But I think it's like any new job is mm-hmm. like no one is going to hire you if you say, oh, by the way, I actually have this other thing which is my real passion and <laughs> yeah, I'm going to yeah, be yeah, doing yeah. that. Yeah. Like you've got to front up and, and justify your paycheck. Well, you have then, to call it now as a side hustle and everyone's cool with it. Yeah. Yeah. So everyone needs a side hustle. <laughs> I mean, and it is kind of a, a, a weird thing too because there are a lot of actors on the show who do have side hustles who, you know, they'll either do endorsements or mm-hmm. they'll do hosting or they'll do all kinds of other things like that. Um, but again, it's more about showing that you're going to be professional, you're going to turn up on time, focused, 
you know, know your shit back to front. So once you establish that, then I think any reasonable employer is like, okay, well, yeah, you can start, you know, diversifying. Yeah. A bit. Um, what op- what's opened more doors, Home and Away or TOEFOP? Um, oh, that's a good question. I, I look, they, they're so completely different. Like Home and Away in terms of acting gives you great visibility. You know, you go to the States and, you know, um, all the management agents know about it because obviously people like, you know, Chris Hemsworth and Ryan Quantin have been through that factory. So um, that's one benefit. But TOEFOP in terms of unexpected opportunities mm-hmm. has been really great because, you know, um, not only through stuff we've pursued ourselves, but the people who approach us, like we're approached by a publisher about making um, uh, YA. Uh, no, is it? Yeah, young, uh, what, young adult fiction, is that? Okay. Yeah, YA? that could sound about right. Called? Yeah. Um, I thought they wanted us to write a children's book, which I thought would be hilarious, <laughs> but no, they're like, uh, this publisher was like, oh, I think you guys would appeal, you know, uh, to, to young men. Um, so, you know, have you love to have a a conversation with you about like some book ideas which Mm. we talked about on this show and then never did (laughs) (laughs) it's good content though yeah Yeah, it's great content i mean i i love the idea um uh, i love the idea that you know if tofop never grows beyond what tofop is Mm. you know the audience we have now and we're just constantly doing it down the line or in will's spare room or whatever it is If, if that's what the show stays i do like the idea that there can be some associated product that spins out of it. Yeah. That, you know, um, you know, for instance, uh, the guy, uh, the guy, James Foster, uh, is our resident artist. He does all our episode artwork. He does Will's tour posters. He's a brilliant artist. And um, he and I have been writing a, a comic book together. And, you know, we've released kind of like six issues of this like mini comic book. And oh, that cool. has all stemmed out of a conversation we had on the show. And so I went to visit him at his studio in, in uh, Adelaide. And that's just something that I would not have thought of mm. four years ago, um, you know, being a comic book writer. Uh, and, and it's been really great. And now you look at that and it's like, okay, well, can this comic book be turned into something else? Yeah. And, you know, I love it when people send us, like, you know, their uh, uh, art inspired by the show mm-hmm. or, like, fiction inspired by the show, all that kind of stuff because, you know, um, I'm going to steal from them. <laughs> <laughs> I, love, I love looking at podcasts as the mechanism to do and then from the doing comes these opportunities, like yes. you say. So yeah. it's like that constantly showing up is something has to happen. It might not be the th- you know the big please thing. something <laughs> something please has to fucking bag him now bag him <laughs> no but something has to give at some point yes connection well like we've got a guy it is that blue collar thing yeah right? it is it's just like that but I also think to that point TJ is it's like it's also being TJ. happy yeah, yeah. yeah. TJ. Um, teach. 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 I get teach. We get, we get, yeah, get teach. Also, a I get one. fuck with a lot. <laughs> <laughs> a bit of FW, but um, uh, what the fuck was I saying? Oh yeah, I think it's also being okay with nothing happening as well. Like I think that the yeah um, surrendering. We've talked well, about yeah, that. Like, like s- being detached from yeah, the detached, outcome yeah. because otherwise, because we need to be. I think like t- Tommy and I have had conversations where it's like we need to be. Like you look at uh, salaries of radio personalities and all that sort of thing, mm. and we think there is a market of like if we just if we can make fucking hundred k a year each, doing the, being able to pay Mister ninety seven well, have an office, and that's that's it. Yeah. Like we would be so fucking happy happy with with that. Mm. And I think that yeah. maybe 
there is that expectation that you are going to blow up, it's going to be this massive thing, rather than just fucking paying rent well, and I went, doing all that I stuff. did a short course last weekend, well, last week, um, about growing your creative business just uh, at Afters in Sydney, oh, the cool. film and radio school. It's like a, a two-day course. And uh, it was run by this guy who you know used to work in publishing and, and now sort of he just works in an advisory capacity to industry, uh, different businesses but specifically sort of creative industries. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, each person with there was there's a couple of content creators as a guy used to work in advertising. Then there was me who said, well, you know, like I write and I act and I've got this podcast and stuff. And he said, okay, well, what you need to work out is the tipping point between hobby and business. Yeah. (laughs) And he's gone, and that's a purely numbers game. Mm. If the money you're bringing in is equal to or less than, (laughs) then it's a hobby. Mm -hmm. But he said, if you are, if you, You've also got to count in things like um, hours away from your family, you know, hardware update, all mm. this kind of stuff. And so the more I thought about it, I'm like, shit, I think this might be a hobby. <laughs> like, I, I mean, it's kind of weird because, like I said, you know, the things that we love pursuing, like the sticker books and the stenographer and stuff, is all stuff that loses us money. But by the same time, that's why I do it. It's like, the thing. I, yeah, I love yeah, it. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I love it. Like, yeah. I, it would be great if, you know, some mega producer just swept in, some billionaire, you know, producer said, okay, great, well, you know, we're going to fund you, you're going to have, like, new equipment, yeah. here's 100K a year for yeah, both yeah. you and, and an office. But I don't know that that really exists in a in a, such a saturated mm. market. We've talked a lot about how there's a pressure, I think, for everybody to feel like they need to turn their hobby into the side hustle, into this money-making thing. Yeah. Which, like, you know, mm. think about everyone, the candles, you make them because you love them. Oh, I can sell these. Yeah, yeah. It's like there is a huge difference between having it running as a serious operation. Well, still Saunders, who uh, does the I Love Green Guide, Green Guide Letters podcast, that was his flagship. That's, what, you know, the show that he started doing. And then his side thing was he did um, like a Star Wars podcast, like a fan thing. And quickly the Star Wars thing mm. just caught fire to the point where he moved to Los Angeles because he wow. just had so much um, – the audience grew so quickly and there was such a demand for it that he had to get closer to the source. And so now that is his primary thing. So it is – he still does I Love Green, Get, Green Guard Letters, I believe, or at least, you know, uh, intermittently. It's pretty harder in the United States to get to explain to people <laughs> yeah, what the Green Guard is. is. Mr. 97, do you know what the Green Guard is? A 19-year-old kid. No idea. Yeah. <laughs> no <laughs> idea. Do you know what a newspaper is? <laughs> Just. <laughs> he got 97 on his uh, ATAR, on his enter score. Oh, so he's, I, could imagine, I could imagine Mr. 97 actually with the newspaper doing all the like uh, – No, I'm useless. In- no, I'm useless. Really? Yeah. Uh, I thought you might have been one of those kids. That I remember when I first – like when I grew up, I was in the suburbs and uh, I was working on a short film in the city and it was like one of the first times I saw The Age. Mm. Like I'd, oh, I'd, wow. Like in the Herald Sun was always like a, around my hood. <clears throat> I just thought like these guys are so smart. Like I saw an actor <laughs> yeah. and had a fucking age out. It was yeah. like look how big that fucking like, – just <laughs> – yeah, read the f- we read the Finn review at a cafe. Yeah. <laughs> you uh, you grew up with a uh, large family. Yeah, you? youngest of nine kids. Youngest of nine. Josh's mum's one of youngest youngest of eleven. Oh wow. Yeah. So all my aunties and uncles are fucking either super old or dead. Yeah, right. But um, <laughs> it's got so that's, that's, that's a upbeat story. <laughs> yeah, bit of a bit of a fun one. Uh, <laughs> but is there the? Do you think there's anything that shaped you of being one of nine? Oh, definitely the being one of being 
wanting to be like a, an entertainer or a communicator or whatever because when you're the youngest at the table, at the dinner table, no yeah. one's listening to you. Yeah. Your opinion doesn't count. Even now as a 41-year-old man, when my family gets together, my opinion somehow still ranks <laughs> as least important, you know, because of the, where I was born. Did but you ever have a conversation? Like I feel like, I feel like as I'm moving We're all into youngest, it, by the way. We're yeah. all the youngest kids. Babies. Yeah, yeah, yeah babies. babies. But I think New there podcast is. called Three Babies. <laughs> three Babies. Like three, so babies and a, three babies and a man. Three babies <laughs> and a man. There are three big babies. No, there, there is. Um, I feel that there is the 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 feeling that you need to have a conversation with everyone. A bit of a reset, being mm. like, "Hey, guys, we're all adults now." Have, did you, have you ever felt like you need to have that with your family, where it's like try and shift things, or are you just happy I, just being? Well, I mean, things? a I think podcasting. My love of podcasting stems from uh, the big family thing because mm-hmm. um, my family are all big talkers and they love to explore issues and, you know, really get into, like, meaty discussions. And so I grew up with the sound of, like, conversation. To me, it's really comforting. Like, often, you know, I, I love music, but I, I, I'm not, like, a huge fan where I can, you know, name every track off an album or whatever. But I love listening to podcasts. I mm. love listening to people talking. And I think that does stem from that. But I also think that my family don't really get what I do. Like I remember a couple of years ago, it was hilarious. You're at my sister's place in Melbourne for Easter and uh, it was the day before Will and I were playing the comedy theatre for the comedy festival. So, you know, like a thousand seats theatre, pretty big show. And uh, Miranda sort of said to – I'm sorry, uh, Gemma said to my sister Miranda, like, are you guys going to go see Charlie's show? My sister was like, "Uh, no, 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 we we haven't bought plans. And Gemma, thinking she was doing the right thing, was like, oh, well – you know, we can get you tickets. And I'm like, oh, no, I don't think they're – and she's like, oh. and so my family very reluctantly, like, yeah, yeah sure, we'll, we'll come. Oh, no. <laughs> and so we got them like, you know, a bunch of tickets. And I remember doing the show and it's that thing of like even with a 1,000 people, you can still just like fixate on the people who aren't laughing. Yeah. Yeah. And I was, bang, so there's my family. <laughs> <laughs> and they just – they're just not into it. And I mean, they, you know, I love them and they love me, but it's just not their thing. Yeah. Like what I do for a living is just that's not okay. their I think thing. part of so it is realising that it's like it's okay for it to yeah. not be their thing. Like I I'm always ask my – like my mum said, oh, I listen to – the, your episode the other day or whatever. And um, what I've always do is I always make this mistake of saying, oh, what would you think? And I caught myself in the moment and I said, oh, yeah, cool. And I was like so proud of myself. But the next day she followed up and said, oh, I don't think you're very nice to that guy. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, you're holding on. She was working out, waiting for me to ask. Yeah. A, friend, a ask. friend of mine said to me about their sibling, if they weren't family, I wouldn't be friends with them. <laughs> Which is a, well, it kind of dark, but... There is a there's a bond that is beyond just. Is there though? No. <laughs> I think I think my mum a couple of years before my mum passed away, she said to me, uh, oh, "I saw you on uh, Home and Away," and she's gone. It wasn't embarrassing at all. <laughs> <laughs> That's a review. You should definitely definitely print that as a review. Yeah. What have you learned from being around comedians? Uh, that they hate themselves yeah. and they hate each other. Yeah, uh, and the worst thing you can say, uh, yeah, the, the worst smear you can say about a comedian, because I've heard every comedian like alleged this about another comedian at some stage is like, oh, you know, they steal jokes. It's like <laughs> yeah. one of those. It's it's like the yeah. lowest thing. <laughs> but every comedian has like accused someone else of doing it. Um, I don't know, like, because uh, I started off uh, with Michael Chamberlain and Charlie Pickering uh, and a few other guys. We were all at this production company in Melbourne in like two thousand and one. 
this great production company called Exit Films, who are now they're sort of exclusively. And I love when I was. I remember being in VCA and like film and TV and just watch like Exit because they were all shot on thirty five mil. Brilliant directors. It was, yeah, my and mate was a runner for them, and we got access to the building in South Melbourne. We filmed oh, right. on their rooftop, and it was like well, even before definitely not allowed. The, even before that, they had this place in Richmond, opposite Richmond Station, which was this old creaky warehouse that they'd gutted and hardwood floors, and it was like classic kind of like creative space in the late 90s, you know, where people were riding like razor scooters around. Yeah. It's all like glass walls. And so they, the guy who ran the company, Henrik, was this brilliant kind of Danish um, photographer had moved to Australia and just decided to start a production company. And so they, were, they weren't quite exit films then. They were sort of coming up though. They had a lot of great young directors mm-hmm. like Glendon and um, Garth. Yeah, and Glendon Ivan. Guys. He yeah. did the, that Cracker, I think it was Cracker, cracker bag. bag. Yeah. Sick film. Um, and so they, had, they wanted to make a comedy pilot and they'd seen these guys do a show at the comedy festival, like a you know, uni review type show. And so that was like Charlie Pickering and a few other guys. And so they had been working on this pilot that hadn't really gone anywhere. Then Michael Chamberlain was brought in and he brought me in as a writer. And so we weren't getting paid, but what they gave us was an office and access to all their gear. And so we would just go in every day like a job and just write sketches and go out and film them and – it was really weird because you didn't realise it at the time because we are just all uni-aged and we just assumed, oh, yeah, this is what like <laughs> life is. You just go to some place and people give you cameras to make <laughs> stupid sketches. Extension of uni in some regards, right? Yeah, sort of yeah. Like- and then after about a year, because Henrik's dream was to – well, he had two dreams. One dream was to like he wanted to make this like pilot that he could sell to a network, but that never happened. And then in the other, the other dream he had was he had this crazy idea that one day people would want to watch videos on their computers – and so he wanted to create like exclusive video content for people's computers. And I remember we met, went around and met with all these different companies who were like, no one is going to watch videos yeah. on their laptop. Like, you know, it's TV on nothing, dude. Yeah. Wow. So four years before YouTube started, like if he just sort of held his fire a little mm. bit, he could have timed it perfectly. But so we did that for a year. And then after a year, Henrik said, look, we have to shut this office down. We can't afford to just, you know, keep um, giving you guys access to all our gear. But – that was great for us. So me and Michael and Charlie made a like a sketch comedy pilot, just brought in some friends and sent that out. And then Michael and Charlie started doing stand-up. And so I sort of had two paths to go down. I was either going to do the stand-up path or, you know, just keep doing the acting. And then I got my first acting role, so I went in that direction. But I was tangentially associated with comedy the whole yeah. time. And I tried stand-up a few times and just found it, terrifying like i did uh, i did i think two or three i did raw comedy once did a heat didn't get through and then i did a couple shows in melbourne mm. and all i remember is just sheer panic like yeah. just sheer panic like with such a overly rehearsed you know like five yeah. <laughs> five minutes the most we did it uh we did a live toe fop um a few years ago where we i found the original uh so we we reread it it was just awful um but comedians it's it's i think it's got to be one of the toughest jobs not just like that musician like because you've got the tour the grind of the tour of going around and gigging mm-hmm. but it's also just it's all on your back like it's not like you know you can play the hit that everyone loves you know like generally most comedians i mean there are some comedians who do the same bit for 20 yeah, years yeah. but you're going out and you're really just with a microphone you're completely naked on stage yeah. you know not literally but some comedians yeah. i'm sure are <laughs> but just the idea of being up there and just trying to trying to make people laugh like it seems if you actually think about what you're trying to do it seems insane Mm, because 
if someone says to you, hey, I'm here to make you laugh, what's the first thing you do? You go, fuck yeah. that, go on, yeah, try. Yeah, yeah, try. <laughs> try. Try. Especially in the Australian audience. Yes. 100%. <laughs> and if you don't make them laugh, the the natural thing to do as an audience member is to judge yeah. and think, that oh, fuck, it wasn't funny. Yeah. Which is then just a complete, uh, you know, rip apart of what they've been trying to do without really trying to be malicious yeah. about it. Even if you just say, oh, fuck that, that wasn't funny. I mean, I think generally the best comedians I know are the ones that are, are the ones – Obviously, you've got to have something to say, but I think it's, 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 knowing, it's knowing who you are and embracing the differences. Mm. Like no one wants to see someone get up and make observations that 90% of us can see. You need that kind of left of centre, that yeah. very personal take Obscure. on something. Yeah. Uh, working in a partnership with Will, what's been the personal learnings for you? Because I think like with Tommy and I, we have been two individuals doing our own thing, uh, you know, coming together, working on the daily talk show and then trying to, you know, mould our dual story, right, and letting go some of our independent stuff. Mm. What, what's your take on your, your you know, joint story? How do we story, work together? But also, like, you've had, you had the um, That's Awesome mm. podcast and things like that. Was was there a desire sometimes to say, I want to try my own thing because... Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think uh, it, with podcasting, I often think of like doing my own thing, but <laughs> I think I'm very lazy. Yeah. There's just other stuff going on. But I, I find I with, with That's Awesome, that was really... I just wanted to, to be... And it was the most indulgent idea for podcasts. I just wanted to create a diary of friends of mine like I just wanted to have long conversations with friends of mine and just Mm -hmm. get their take on stuff and the last interview I did I did three interviews with my mum who was um I had stage four breast cancer at the time and so I did one with Will on TOEFOP and then I did two with her in her last six months of being alive and the last one I did with her was two months before she passed away and it was really it was such an amazing unguarded honest conversation about death you know and and you know, it's funny and it's sad and, and she's so brilliant in it that when I uploaded that episode, I was like, who the fuck am yeah. I going to get on You're after peaked. that? Yeah. yeah, like I think it's like 37 episodes or something. Yeah. But, you know, and it had such a huge response. Like the people who heard it were just, they were so moved by it. Mm. I kind of was like, oh, I think I've achieved what I wanted to do with that one. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I, there's a couple of ideas I'm kicking around to do like solo podcasts, but I think I want to, make it a bit more structured. Yeah. What, what is that, um, not even advice, but the learning that you've had in doing the duo or the team stuff? Because I feel like the stuff that Tommy and I have gone It sounds through, like I'm doing some kind of like mediation. Absolutely. I think the thing Does is that, Will chew really <laughs> loudly? <laughs> I think there's definitely, I think there's, I think what's probably, I was even watching um, uh, one of Rooster Teeth's uh, brands they have a, a show called um mythical mornings and they've got and there was a episode where the guys basically deconstructed the fact that they're like um they were receiving feedback from fans around how someone didn't like how Rhett was chatting talking to link and there's this whole deconstruction around like even though we're being authentic we're also <coughs> playing characters and we're doing this and that mm. and i feel like whenever you do something on uh in the public eye and there's two people, there, there are all these things that, that come along with it, especially when it's with a, a friendship. Have you had discussions around this is a bit of gear, this is content, mm. or 
you know, what has been those those points of learnings about yourself? Because I think it's yeah. like it's an you have to remove your ego, I feel, when doing a duo, realizing that it's not even removing your ego, it's realizing that like your story's not always the funniest story. It's not the best story. Mm. And that also that uh, thing of when someone says a great story, my first inclination used to be to be like, oh, I've got a funny yeah. story too. Mm. How, how do you reconcile well, all I of that? Well, I think, uh, I mean, it helps when you've got one of Australia's best comedians <laughs> sitting yeah. across And then you. Will. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I mean, the great thing about, you know, uh, working with someone like Will, he's so fast and he's so quick and he's been doing it for so long that you, I don't really have to worry about something getting too slow or boring or whatever mm. because he, you know, at any point he can just pull something yeah. out. And I think without really, we don't really discuss yeah. stuff. Like, I, you know, we don't, we, we don't sort of come with a plan or, or say, hey, should we talk about this? But instinctively I feel like the show works best when I come to the show with a something, mm-hmm. with something I've read, with a personal story or whatever mm-hmm. it is, and then Will is able to pick that apart and then when he picks it apart, I'm able to respond. That yeah. to me is the best episodes of TOEFOP where, you know, we did this, in t- we call it the bin trilogy. We did this entire thing about three episodes in a row where I was getting so annoyed. I had a, my wheelie bin went missing <laughs> and I was convinced that my, uh, that I, I was convinced that, these, these, these kids, these teenagers in my street had stolen it. Like I'd created this entire paranoid. And so bringing that in and then Will sort of like counselling me through that and then discovering that it wasn't these kids. It was actually, you know, my neighbour and then, you know, all this other kind of stuff went on through it. But where, me, where was the bin? Well, my neighbour just accidentally had taken it to his backyard. <laughs> but I was convinced that yeah. these like these teenagers, these these yeah. like eighties eighties movie punks, yeah, you yeah. Know, had yeah. like the stolen it and were filling <laughs> it. But it was just um, that that's kind of perfectly sums up when the show is is cooking really well. It's like, well, you, you bring in a topic and then it can go in any any direction. I think you know that not that the, you know. Every show's like your child. You're not going to pick favourites. But mm. I, I definitely know that the show, for me, the show feels like it drags when we are trying to force, sure. f- trying to force humour into something or trying mm. to force something out of it. Like it, it, it flows much better when it's just like this, like yeah. it's just yeah. a conversation. Would, would Will say the same thing, do you think? I think so. I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I feel like, and also, you know, he's one of the hardest working guys in showbiz, literally, like he has, you know, he's got his stand-up, he's got Gruen, he's got radio, all this kind of stuff. So he doesn't really have time to prep a whole bunch of material for his fake radio show <laughs> that he does with his mate. <laughs> so it's easier if I can, you know, it's a, it's probably a relief for him that he can just sit in a chair and then just like snipe, mm. you know. <laughs> I yeah, can yeah, bring yeah. something in, he yeah. can just pick yeah. it apart. What's uh, what's exciting for you with Tofop specifically in the, the coming years, do you think? Um, I just think it's the associated product. Like, you know, we sort of felt a couple of years ago, or maybe a longer time ago, that this, you know, shit, maybe with a new Hamish and Andy or something yeah. like that. But I think now we've sort of like really settled into no, it, it is what it is. Like, I hate using the word cult, but I think we have a very niche audience. Mm-hmm. I, I find it very hard to recommend my own show to people mm-hmm. because I just don't know if they're the kind of people who'll get it or yeah. who like n- it. By not having a niche, you've created a niche. Yeah. audience yeah it's you one know, of those things where it's like yeah your your niche is you guys yeah yeah you know? i mean you're either yeah you're either into what we do or you're not yeah our, our particular brand of whimsy <laughs> <laughs> so those associated products 
What do you What are you actually What are you thinking? Like, what do you dream of? Uh, what are your dreams, John? Uh, I <laughs> look. I mean, probably none that have been explored enough to to articulate here. But mm. I think that there are there are there there we have generated so much content over two hundred and whatever episodes. And I know that seems laughable to you guys who are and episode three hundred. I mean, we've only been doing it for a year and a bit. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah so. we're ten years and two hundred something episodes. <laughs> But um, we ha- I recently had an intern just go through and log every episode from episode one, just time code, everything that we've talked about. And when I read through it, I'm like, there is a shit ton yeah. of stuff here that could be mined, you know, if you wanted to like turn it to a TV show or a web series mm. or do like a, a podcast just exploring that. Did you guys hear Finding Drago? The, um, no, no. Uh, 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 it's a, a podcast uh, two uh, Sydney comedians did, which is about – um, fan fiction. They, one of them found a bit of fan fiction about Ivan Drago, you know, from Rocky IV. And it's such an innocuous beginning to a podcast. But then exploring who wrote the fan fiction and where it's come from, it was so fantastic. And it's, to me, that is like, that's, uh, Tofop has a hundred of those ideas in mm. its back catalogue. It's now just about, you know, going through it, which I've only just started to do and reading through all the all the kind of time codes and being like, okay, is there something in that? You know, mm. maybe we can expand that in, in some direction. I mean, the great thing is we have an audience that is very loyal and and really like everything we do. Mm. Um, you know, when we when we put something out there for them, they snap it up really quickly. How do you pitch things into Will? Um, just have a conversation. <laughs> like, yeah. a, I mean, I don't, it's not, nothing special. Well, is it, do you feel, because I, I feel like you were mentioning that he's this, you know, the hardest working guy in showbiz. I guess there's a, a prioritization game that you probably play where it's like, okay, what, it, we've got the show, that's like the, the number one thing. And sometimes it probably feels like just treading water of just making well, that happen. I mean, Will has never made himself unavailable yeah like that's the thing that's the crazy thing with his schedule is that he'll always find time to do it mm-hmm. which is um you know so it hasn't really been a case of like having to pitch something into him like yeah. it's just if he can if he's got time then yeah. he'll do it and there's been times where you know uh, a lot of the kind of uh, more administrative stuff is down to me and our producers mm-hmm. you know um, I'll just go off and, and work things out and then you just present – I'll present it to him and say, okay, well, this is what we're doing, mm-hmm. yay or nay. And you know, yeah. it's the easiest way to get it across. Yeah. I, mean, I think but there's so many – like there's so many differences in your partnership and Josh and I Yeah, uh, in terms of the level of sort of breaking down everything we do. Mm. I, I, don't, I don't know if – what I've gauged from speaking with heaps of people is like there's no really one formula. Maybe I overthink. As well. <laughs> no, but that's, yeah, then yeah, that's yeah. your formula. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's not – that we need to take someone else's yeah, yeah, approach. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Bag him. Yeah. <laughs> You're fine, mate. Yeah. Uh, tomorrow you've got a live live show. Yeah. Um, how many live shows do you reckon you do a year? Not many. Um, we, we used to do like one mm-hmm. a year. You did the uh, Opera House, didn't you? We did the Opera House. That's bizarre. That was crazy. How did yeah. that happen? Did the Opera House but weren't allowed to – um, mention mention it. it in any of when we released really? it. It's part of the Opera House deal. You have to give them $10,000 if you put – the Opera House in any of your like episode really? titles. We've actually been in the Opera House five times for the show, but we've just never paid the 10 grand. So <laughs> well, we did one at Opera Bar. Oh, yeah, that's oh, right. Just sitting it there, we had the camera. Yeah. It was good. It was definitely not we authorised. Sun, we got sunburned. Our, our yeah. tour poster for that show, uh, sorry, our Opera House show is um, 
uh, like a drawing of like Will and I hanging from a helicopter above uh, Sydney Harbour with a big sinkhole. <laughs> the Sydney Opera <laughs> House should be. There's that little joke. But, um, yeah, we Sonic the, Sonic the Hedgehog. Just put him in there. Yeah, He'd yeah. probably get sued for using we, Sonic. We did the comedy festival for a few mm. years and it was always a great fun show and it's great to bring out other comedians and stuff. But um, I think now that podcasts are so widespread, there's so many competing for attention and we just mm. sort of felt like, ah, oh, well, it's not, it's not as special as it used to be. And also mm. I think that... Yeah, you know, we, we I think we sit more comfortably with us in a smaller. It's like hip hop. <laughs> I like seeing hip hop in smaller venues. Like yeah. when you go to a big yeah. stadium show or music festival, hip hop never translates quite as well. And I feel like, you know, our show is two guys talking, and so do you really need a thousand people in yeah. the theater too? That seems like a smaller audience would yeah. suit that much better. We've thought about doing live shows and stuff, but I mean, we've done mini ones. Do you? What, what's your Going into that, do you prepare more? Yeah, like well, when we do the live shows, that's 100% me. Um, and I love that. Like I, I will prepare, you know, we'll do like a game show. And uh, the Opera House was that, – that has been my favourite so far because um, at uh, Mike Howell is our producer, who's this, uh, a guy who uh, lives in Portland, Oregon. And the way he came into our show is he just approached us and said, hey, you know, I, uh, I've got my own sound studio. If you want me to do all your posts. And so – the joke became that, hang on, this guy just contacted us online. How do we know this is not just like super sophisticated AI? <laughs> and so the joke became that he was a robot. And so that's been, you know, the running joke. So when we did the live show. Oh, he's the computer on the website. Yeah, that's A little right. computer yes. icon for his face. Yeah, 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 that's right. <laughs> so no one's really seen what he looks like. So when we did the live <laughs> shot at the Opera House, I thought it would be hilarious to um, – because he was, he was going to fly out for it. And so I was going to – him in the audience, I thought it would be hilarious to um, say to him that I've uh, found an Australian girl for him <laughs> – <laughs> while he's out here and then roll out this robot. And I wanted to get Dexter from Perfect Match to come out. But I couldn't get Dexter but found these guys in um, Western Sydney who run like a, a, a robot workshop where they're just hobbyists who build robots. And so I got them to build a robot. Turns out Mike Howell couldn't make it out there. So I got Justin Hamilton to voice the robot. So like, you know, we're in the Sydney Opera House and I get them to lower the lights and play some like 80s sci-fi <laughs> It was so self-indulgent. So indulgent. And out rolls this robot being remote controlled by some guy off off stage and then being voiced by Justin. And it was so dumb. It was so dumb, but it worked really well. And it's kind of like that's my favourite stuff is like it's not so much about what you're doing. It's the spirit in which you're doing it. And you're playing to an audience of people who Mm. love your stuff. Like it's very hard to have a bad show. It's not like the – guy in the stand-up audience who's got his arms folded waiting for you to convince him to laugh like yeah they're there because they they want to they want to be there yeah your normal location where you live yeah. is a weird way of saying it sydney how often is that is a weird <laughs> i have no idea where you're going location man. home yeah yeah, yeah robot <laughs> residence yeah it's all com- it's coming unstuck uh in sydney how often are you in melbourne uh quite a bit this year um i've been doing uh, quite a bit of stuff down here but like Melbourne's home, this is where I grew yeah. up and I always loved coming back here. So I try and get down to Melbourne at least half a dozen times. Do you come year. back to watch the footy? Because I know you're yes. a mad St Kilda yes, fan. Yes, I will, I will come down to watch the football. I am a St Kilda Football Club ambassador this year. Oh, yeah. So yeah. Uh, I have some official ambassadorial. What does that actually mean? What do you have to do? Means, uh, talk, talk up the club, yeah. I guess. Uh, go to a president's lunch. Um, generally, generally just uh, use my uh, influencer status. Yeah. <laughs> To promote the club, three Instagram posts a year or something, something like that. And, then, yeah. and so, um, 
Two guys, one cup's back. Two guys, one cup's back. Uh, worse than ever. I mean, <laughs> completely – every year we, we seem to talk about a player who's been retired that we have no <laughs> idea has been retired for years. He mentioned Rewalt before. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Jack Rewalt. Rewalt's still playing. Oh, Jack, so, yeah. 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 That's who I meant, you <laughs> fucking idiot. <laughs> <laughs> He's got no idea what team does he play for. Uh, yeah. uh, St Kilda. <laughs> yeah. He no. did, he did. He did, of course he did. No, yeah. no, no, no. Nick did. He was our longest serving captain. And then Jack. you had Jack. Jack. And who Jack played. Who's he played for? Yeah. Oh. Uh, who? I, I think really? it was Richmond. <laughs> I guess it's Richmond. Is it Richmond? Richmond, yes. yes. That's really good. It is really good. Well, it would be great to have you back on the show because we're going to be doing this for like 10 years is the plan. Yeah, great. 10-year so, um, plan. Unless we go to that workshop you did and they tell us that this is a fucking hobby. This is a hobby. And work out. Who, 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 you guys, do you guys do your own accounting? Or have you got yeah, we, no, we do. You got zero? Yeah. yeah. Gee, man. Since I started getting zero, I'm like, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> wow. There's a yeah. lot of outgoings and yeah. not many incomes. That's a good brand integration. <laughs> It's yeah. just like zero looking after podcasts. You naturally yeah. cook the books when they're on paper, but there's no cooking the books when it's yeah. when you've got zero. nothing. Yeah, and no. also when you've got nothing coming in, there's no way you can really cook the books. <laughs> no. Zero really looks like a fucking yeah. shithole. Yeah. Uh, thanks for coming on, Charlie. Thanks, Charlie. The Daily Talk Show. Send us an email. Hi at the Daily Talk Show dot com. Uh, tomorrow's Friday. What are we doing for Fat Fridays? Fat Fridays. Every every uh, Friday, Charlie, we eat shit food because it's mm. Fat Friday. Yeah, great. What do you get? I have no fucking idea, nah. but we're filming you guys too. So we better go check out that location. Yeah, yeah. Now. Yeah, let's do that. All right. Yeah. See, See you guys. guys.